Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 178 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger alongside uh, Frank Saravalli, who is at the uh, Board of Governors meetings. Frankie, good morning. How are you doing? I am good. This assignment definitely does not suck. And this episode 178 is presented by Athletic Brewing. I'm embarking on a journey this January with Athletic Brewing, and I want you to join me. Dry January is going to be a breeze with Athletic's lineup of craft, non-alcoholic beers. They've got a range of IPAs, Goldens, Cervezas, and a rotation of seasonals. So stock up for Dry Jan and join me using my promo code FRANK20 for 20% off your first purchase at athleticbrewing.ca until January 31st and give dry a try. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all face-offs, fit for all times. Where are you, by the way? You out the pool deck? Yeah, poolside, just uh, the Atlantic Ocean, about uh, 100 feet off to my left here. Not uh, not a bad spot to be. Now, is, is the main... Is the main thing that they're discussing this year is uh, projecting the salary cap. And do you think there's any chance the next three years are going to get averaged out? I think there's a significant chance that that happens. Um, the question is, how close are they to retiring that $1.1 billion debt? That's going to determine how quickly they'll be able to engage in, in that type of process to smooth out the salary cap, as opposed to just having a significant, you know, $6 million jump or whatever the cap might be uh, two summers from now, if they're not able to retire that. So I think everyone would like to have that balanced out a bit, even though players might ultimately win in the end. If, if that much space is added to the salary cap in one shot, uh, it would help teams better plan for sure. So the off ice business component of this meeting is going to be pretty significant in that front. There's not a lot of, hockey stuff going on here. I think a lot of people are curious outside of the cap projection as to what is the status right now of the sale of the Ottawa senators. So that is going to be certainly a topic. And I'm wondering if there's going to be anyone here meeting with the NHL's executive committee from some of those prospective buyers, but I don't think the sale process has moved quite uh, that far along just yet. And then just other league business. This is a pretty historical spot in terms of where, uh, the NHL's Board of Governors has gathered before. We're at the Breakers Hotel in, in Palm Beach. And you think back 30 years ago on Sunday was the uh, 30th anniversary of Harry Bettman being installed as NHL commissioner. So a lot has happened here. A number of franchises have been born out of this meeting. Uh, Anaheim, Tampa Bay, the Ottawa Senators. So um, we'll see what comes of these next couple of days of meetings. Well, speaking of Bettman in 30 years, how much longer do you think he stays as commissioner? Well, that was actually one of the real big topics, Jason, last year at this exact meeting. Uh, we were at another place uh, in Florida, and, and that was the big topic of discussion was, did Gary Bettman get a contract extension? And so the belief was that he did receive a five-year extension. But when you think about the status of, of where the league was at that exact moment in time, there was still a number of feathers ruffled from the Chicago Blackhawks scandal and that fallout that had occurred a couple months earlier, uh, the release of that report. So um, it was never actually confirmed by the commissioner that he received a five-year extension, but I wonder if part of that conversation, and this has sort of been the, the rumor and it's never been confirmed, is 
it, if you received a new five-year deal, then after the fact, um, was there some sort of idea, hey, maybe as you get toward the end of that deal, do you begin to institute some kind of succession plan? I think that's the big question. Well, I think a lot of people just assume it's Bill Daly. Is it going to be someone different or would it be him? I, I don't have the answer to that because I think if you talk to people around the league, someone would say, yeah, of course he's built for it. He's done the job for a long time. Uh, some might also say, you know, you need someone a little bit younger. I think Bill is trending closer towards 60, uh, still a young man. And obviously you see uh, how long Gary Bettman has run the league, that there's no reason to think that Bill Daly couldn't have a 15 year run that comes on the end of that. But I don't know what his appetite for it is. And also like, would he be much different than Gary? Right. Like I wonder they, they've been kind of, you know, side by side for so long. They, they have been in lockstep and I think you're right about that. Um, but I always think, you know, look at how the NBA has been run under Adam Silver, who was a longtime deputy to, um, to Mr. Stern, David Stern. And that, that's been different. It, it feels different. It feels younger, more vibrant, fresh. Um, I think there would be an opportunity, even if it was Bill Daly, that's next to put his own stamp on it and make it just a little bit different. I think we all have ideas in our head of, of what it would be like if you had the opportunity in the chair and I'm sure he's got his own way of doing things. If that were to be the case. So any hockey talk, like what is there one on ice topic that's going to be discussed? Not really. I think there's going to continue to be maybe some discussion about some uh, cut resistant clothing, um, but nothing significant in terms of the on ice product. As far as I know is on the agenda. It's way more business focused this year. Yeah, well, there's really, when you think about the game, I, I'm trying to think of a, of a hot topic that many people are like, ah, this has got to change. I don't really, I don't really see one that, you know, the Evander Kane injury, that, that's probably being the, the biggest unfortunate thing that's happened uh, in the first third of the season. So yeah, it's one of those rare times. Like the, the, the game itself, there's, you know, there, there's nothing that you really have to consider and look at and say, oh, we need this rule changed or that rule changed. I really, you know what, that's a good sign for me is that there hasn't been anything remotely controversial or frustrating. I also think, and this is the NHL tagline that you hear a lot. So I don't want anyone to think that I'm carrying anyone's water. I think the game has been more exciting. Like I, I read this stat yesterday uh, where we have what 19 days left or 20 days left in December. And there have been 588 comeback games this calendar year in 2022, 588 it sounds believable when you see teams like the Vancouver Canucks blowing or, or coming, making four goal comebacks all the time. It seems routine. Um, but it goes to show you that I think almost, you know, short of the Tage Thompson tear and, and we'll have uh, Tage's dad, Brent on the show today, who's a head coach in AHL Bridgeport um, to talk about Tage Thompson and his rise. But when you think about that, other than that, there's not really any lead in the league that's, that that's insurmountable. No, no, not at all. Um, to the ice, we are going to get to uh, a 12 year head coach in the American hockey league, uh, Brent Thompson, former NHL player for, for a few years off and on played lots in the American league as well. So uh, he'll join us, but Frank, uh, suddenly are, do you have any more faith 
that the like the Washington Capitals have won four in a row and are suddenly right back in the the playoff spot. Do you think the Capitals, who a lot of us had maybe said, "Geez, this might not be their year," uh, we have to start looking at them and saying, "Hey, wait a sec, uh, maybe we're a tad premature and counting out the Caps." Look, I, I think given the injuries that they've had and some of the players, and a lot of them have been longer term, but with some of them coming back now, um, given where they're at in their competitive cycle and their core, and given what's on the other side of it, I don't think they're going to be major spenders, but I also think they, if they're close, they owe it to their core to give them every opportunity to get in and make and do some damage, which by the sheer math alone for them to get in, they will have have to been playing pretty well over the final half of the season or so in order just to get in. So maybe that changes the dynamic of the conversation a bit, doesn't it? Very true. And you know, the other team in the East that's interesting to me is they just, they can't seem to get out of second gear, right? They'll win a few, then they lose a few is the Florida Panthers. Like they, I wonder when, like they have a lot of talent at 122 points and I know they made some significant changes and, you know, maybe getting Duclair back will, will help them. But like Florida is still perplexing to me and where they're at in the standings. I didn't expect them to be muddling along here 30 games in. I think maybe what's been most surprising is how difficult of a year Alexander Barkov has had. And I know that he, I guess, had an illness and missed some time um, and, and was maybe dealing with a nagging injury here or there. But I think perhaps we misunderstood or understated the loss of Jonathan Huberto and how that might impact, in this case, Alexander Barkov and his season. So, um, you know, I think that's maybe been the real surprising factor. And I, I mean, Jason, I think if you were to inject some truth serum into Bill Zito, the, the Panthers GM, what he would say to you is maybe we expected to take a bit of a step back from the 122 points that we had last season. And I, and I thought about this stat the other day, and I, I haven't been able to find an answer, but is there a, has there ever been a President's Trophy winning team that failed to make the playoffs the next season? Uh, that's an interesting stat to look up, and I'm going to put you on the case for that since you're the stat guy. But they, I think they expected to take a step back to then a couple years from now with Matthew Kachuk take a couple steps forward further than they were. Yeah, like I know Stanley Cup winners have missed the playoffs, New Jersey and stuff, uh, Carolina. But uh, um, President's Trophy winners, uh, I'll have to look I was thinking up. about it the other day. I, I couldn't – I don't know that I could find one. Yeah. Um, I'd have to think and look. Um Hmm, that's a good question. Because, yeah, it's funny. Like, winning the Cup, it, it sounds odd. The teams can win the Cup and then miss the playoffs. You think they're the best team. But they're the best team for the playoff run, not necessarily the best team for seven months. So, um, Florida's still got lots of time. But I'm just – it's surprising to me how – and Barkoff, the funny thing is, him and Huberto barely played together last year. They, they were on separate lines for the majority of the season. You know, Kachuk's come in, and he's been great. And, and uh, you know, Uyghur and Calgary, yeah, you know, he's had back-to-back – what he says pizzas, in his words, and uh, I think valid. But, you know, there are both of, those, both of those teams in Calgary and Florida who were both very good last year today – as we speak, not far, but they're both sitting out. They're both sitting outside the playoff picture. What'd you make of Daryl Sutter's intriguing comments after the game on Saturday night against the Leafs when he said, "More or less typical Toronto that you know the Leafs get the home calls." And I, I saw a stat put out there. I think it was James Myrtle who said 
the Leafs are 28th in the league in, in penalties for per game over the last five seasons or something. So they're not getting any help or benefit from the officials. But it just it seemed to me like, and we've talked about Daryl Sutter's comments this year, it seemed to me like more deflecting from the fact that his team has really struggled. All of a sudden we're talking about that instead of the officiating, instead of uh, how his team played the last couple of games. Right, Daryl's a smart dude. I, I, I When I saw that, I was like, that's a veteran coach just saying, you know what? I'm going to try to stir up the hornet's nest, maybe get my guys annoyed, and we can rally around something else. Yeah, the refs are screwing us. We got to get the refs. And rather than, um, you know, publicly, because you can't always go public and, and lambaste your team all the time. You know, that gets old. You can do that a few times a year, and coaches do it. You know, and, and Sutter may, maybe uses it more than others and has had success doing it. But, yeah, I, I think that was a well-thought-out strategy for him because it is true that the Maple Leafs, if you look at penalties drawn over the last few years, they're, they're one of the lowest teams. They always have been. Like the Columbus Blue Jackets, that's the team. If there was ever an organization that was, says, hey, we're getting screwed over, it would be the Blue Jackets. The, year after year after year, they have the fewest penalties, uh, fewest power play opportunities in the league. It's, it's uncanny for them. And I'll, I'll say this. Um, I think the relationship that Daryl Sutter has had with his players this year has been very tense. Uh, I think they have um, given some of the things that were said publicly and privately. I think the flames essentially said to him, look, you can't be this on all the time. You know, it's a long season. You need to cool off a bit here. And I wonder if this was the first sign that we've seen a little bit of a different approach publicly as, as opposed to, as you said, you know, crushing his team again. And, And he did have some pointed words on Friday night after their loss to Columbus essentially uh, not nearly as harsh as what we would have heard or seen earlier in the season. I think the expectations this year have gotten to that team a little bit, and I don't think Daryl Sutter helped in terms of the way the first few months of this season have gone, that he was just always pushing them always on, and I think sometimes that can, that can wear on a team. Well, uh, we are going to get to our guest today, who is a, a current uh, head coach in the American Hockey League, his 12th year in uh, Brent Thompson. And then uh, we got some other teams we want to talk to about that after, Frank. But uh, let's get to our guest. And we are welcome to be joined today on the DFO Rundown by uh, Brent Thompson. Uh, 12 years as a head coach in the American Hockey League, all with the Islanders organization, uh, all with the uh, Bridgeport uh, Tigers. Well, now it's the Bridgeport Islanders. Uh, also was an assistant coach with the Islanders for two years, played in the National Hockey League between 1991 and 1997, and had an extensive pro career that began that spanned over 14 years. Brent Thompson joins us on the DFO Rundown. Brent, thanks for your time. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Well, and also, Brent, we'll have to discuss uh, your son, Tage, a little bit in this show because, man, he is lighting it up. But uh, I want to start first uh, for you. You know what? You had a long pro career, Brent. Uh, you played in the NHL a bit and then in the American League. And you've been coaching now in the American League, really. I guess it started as an, as an assistant way back in, in 2005 and six. Was I always like to ask guys, like, was coaching something you thought about in your career? Or did you kind of fall into it near the end or after your career? Well, it's kind of a, a combination, really, because at the end of the career, I was in Providence my last year in the American League, and I i mean, I wanted to stay in the game in some way, somehow, and it actually 
really did fall into it, but I kind of always wanted to do it too. So the opportunity uh, with St. Louis, and their American League team in Peoria uh, came uh, came asking and I was willing to do it and it was the right time. And I was very, very fortunate to get into the coaching as quick as I did. That transition from playing, finishing, retiring, and then right into the American League as an assistant coach right away is it was uh, a great opportunity. So I took it and ran with it. And ever since I've been doing it and love it. For you as a coach, what do you feel nowadays? Like the game has changed. We've got lots more offensive uh, attack, which I love as a fan. Um, what? How has it changed how you coach? Because are there more mistakes? Do you have to allow more mistakes today than maybe before? I think I, I think the game itself is a faster game with the rules. I think that's what creates the offense. There's not as many holdups. There's not as much clutching and grabbing. So it creates more space and time. So there's your, you know, your real big change. The actual systems and the structure and, and reinventing the game isn't really there. I think the game is still the same, the, the basic principles. But, yes, as far as creating offense, yeah, you got to have a little leeway. I got to let the player show their skill and and kind of like a rule of thumb that i like to use is, is hey from the offensive red line down be creative where the structure has to be tight is from our defensive side of the red line and that means tracking defensive zone coverage uh you know supporting and all that kind of stuff so for me uh the offensive side of things you got to be creative you got to let these guys go you gotta, you know, you still have your principles that you want to teach, whether it's net drive, whether it's, uh, you know, pre-scout scenarios that you want to know if these guys, uh, you know, if they're a tight swarm team, you want to spread them out, whatever it may be. So you give them that. And then outside that, you just got to let them run. And yes, there are mistakes, especially at the American League level. I think these guys are all learning the game. They're trying to figure out what roles and where they're going to fit in in the NHL. And each of those guys are maturing at different times. And that's one of the biggest things is you, you don't want to stifle their, their uh, development. Brent, I got to ask you, your son Tage has an enormous week last week, a, a five-goal game. What were you doing? Were you watching the game live? And if you weren't, how quickly was your phone blowing up to then get to a TV or a screen where you could see it? I was I was watching it live. Uh, that was it was pretty exciting. I was sitting on the couch, just enjoying the game as a fan, just like everybody else, you know. Uh, and and my phone was blowing up though; it was going crazy. So it was kind of exciting. It was fun to watch, and it was uh, I was I was really really happy for him. No doubt, and and breaks out last season with an enormous year, and I, I think obviously a player that was pretty highly touted in his career. He has the size. Um, and he's sort of put it all together. Curious, you know, your thought process on watching all that unfold, obviously as a, as a proud dad, but also as someone that, you know, is closely tuned into the game. Why do you think Paige was able to put it all together? I like, I like just any other player. It's, it's their time. It's, it's kind of, when do they mature? When does it kind of all click? And then to me, there might even, there might even still be more as far as, you know, completely, 200 foot game things like that but as for Tage you know you see it he was kind of a late bloomer even when he went to the program he kind of got brought in on the second year not the first full year so he only had the one year at the program uh going to UConn he actually did a pretty good job and then when he turned pro you could always see the talent uh, you, you saw the the offensive brain 
you knew it was there. And if you really watched him in the American League, he did create a lot of offense. He he was always a smart hockey player. So you see the way he thought the game. It just took a while for everything to come together. And, you know, being at 24 years old and and now I think he's kind of figured it out. And that that just comes with, with just playing. And I think Donnie and the Buffalo Sabres gave him a great opportunity and he's he's ran with it. And so, you know, it's unique, Brent, because there's not many you know, NHL dads who are also AHL coaches, right? So here you are as a coach and, and, and your son's had one of the greatest, you know, breakouts here the last few seasons. And, you know, people are saying, man, like they haven't seen a big man like that with hands kind of like since Marilyn Mew, which is pretty, uh, pretty high praise. No question. But you saw him kind of develop and it takes time. Is, is that a good reminder as a head coach? Because you coach a lot of, you know, lots of guys turning pro first year, 20, 21. Some of them, you know, the first three years, you're like, Jesus, is this guy going to figure it out? How patient do you have to be on that development? And is that a, is that a good reminder that some guys is just going to take a little bit longer? Oh, 100%. 100%. I think, I think the... Uh... I used really what he went through and, and the things that him and I had talked with in the summers that we had worked together on skills and kind of just, and just even his growth, the strength. I mean, he's still a, a slight, I mean, he's still skinny in my opinion. You can put it on another five to eight pounds, but that's going to come in time as he matures even more. Um, and then he'll be even better. And so when you look at his growth and development and you look at your own team and you look at guys that, that are, are 19, 18, 19, 20, uh, you know, Simon Holmstrom's example for my team, he, he was here at 18 and, and it's three years now and he's just now scraping the surface uh, with the Islanders. And, uh, you know, so you're the patience of understanding that that player at 18 and 19, you see the flashes, but where he's going to be in five years is something totally different. So yes, it's a great reminder. Now, but you mentioned the skills you work on with Tage, and for any of our uh, listeners who don't know, you know, uh, when you played in the NHL, uh, I think it's safe to say that offense wasn't uh, your number one forte, right? You're a big, physical, tough guy. You know, it could really hold his own in fisticuffs, and it was a different era now. But you, it's funny. A lot of people are like, oh, your guy was tough. He doesn't know the game, and I'm always like, well, I disagree strongly. No, no fighter doesn't want to score goals. They just know what they're good at, and you maybe we're better at fighting than scoring. But the skill development and the skill focus we're like goalie coaches. They had a goalie coach for years. And really we've seen forwards and defensemen here the last five years suddenly have more to, of an emphasis in the off season, not just on cardio training, but on actual skill development. How have you incorporated that into practice? Can you do that during the season or does most skill development have to come in the off season when you have a lot of time? Um, you know, I think you want to maintain for sure during the main, the regular season. And we do with the Islanders, we definitely do skill development, especially in the American league level, uh, which is a developmental league. Our schedule allows us, I think the NHL, it's a harder animal to attack as far as skill development during the year. But in the American league, we have, we play Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then we don't play till next Friday. You can break the week up and still get the skill development in there uh, where the guys can work on things they need to improve on. And, uh, and we're fortunate enough with the Islanders that I also have a skills coach that I work side by side with. So, you know, it's good to have him and we're, we always have him out, you know, pre-practice, post-practice, things like that. So there is skill development during the season, but if you really want to tackle that skating, uh, you really want to tackle those issues, the regular uh, doing it during the summer where you can really put your focus on that, that is really a big thing. I think the skating is the hardest thing 
to improve during the year in the summer, that's where you got to nail it down and really work on your, on your skating. Now, when you mentioned that the skill development of your individual players, do you guys in your, in, in New York, do you break down like defense in one area, forwards in another? Cause there, or, or is it come down to each individual player saying, you know what, uh, uh, Samuel Boldu, we want to work with shooting. I'm just saying as an example, whereas, uh, you know, uh, Durando, we're going to work on, you know, him deflecting pucks or stuff. Like, do you break it down individually or, or is it defense and forward skills? No, it's, it's a combination of both. There's days where we take all the D out. We work together with the D. Um, there's days where we have individual stuff. Um, so, so example, Sam Bolduc, we want him working on his pivoting. We want him working on his hands and being able to get a shot to the net quicker this year. And, and he's out there individually working. So it's a good opportunity for those guys, uh, to, to, to work on that during the season. So for me, combination of both. So Brent, you touched on how, uh, Tage and, and obviously your, your relationship, father, son has helped you maybe on the coaching end. I was wondering if how having, you know, players and being around players of Tage's age every day has helped you be a hockey dad as well. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I think, uh, you know, you're a hockey dad right from the time he, he put his skates on, he fell in love with the the game and has he has been around our guys uh, seeing, you know, the American league guys, the young guys seeing what they go through and, and, you know, shoot, I went through it too. So hopefully that, that helps you as a, as a coach, not only uh, as a, as a hockey dad that hey, it's, it is fun. It's supposed to be fun at a young, young age. Um, but it's more so, I think it just helps you as a coach, as far as understanding where the brain's at and how frustrated they are at certain scenarios through the year that you, you know, like, so, he can have a conversation with me as a father, son, uh, Tage or Tice. And, and, you know, I understand where they're coming from. And then I see my players, maybe I've done the same thing to one of those guys. Hey, I, I get where the kid's coming from a little bit more. So definitely helps on the coaching side as a dad. I think I'm just a dad and you think you're just going to, you fall in love with, with what they're doing. And, and uh, I've been fortunate that they've been with me ever since, well, obviously the birth, but being on the rink and, and being around me ever since I was playing so I think that was uh, kind of a benefit as far as you know, the way they progressed and the way that I have uh, embraced being this hockey dad. Yeah, no doubt. That's all really exciting. I, I was curious if you could take us inside what last summer was like um, as age signs, that huge deal, obviously $50 million is an incredible accomplishment and, and speaks to the season that age had, but, Maybe, you know, also uh, just kind of the relationship, the push and pull between, hey, there's a guy that really broke out, had an amazing year. You get that security, but also, hey, I wonder what it might be like if I go out and have another year like he just had. What was that like as you kind of go through the process or was it really simple in a sense of like, hey, it's, the Sabres are offering us some guaranteed security here. Let's take it. Well, I think it's uh, it's as simple as the the Sabers offered him that security, and and he had a great year, and we all believed that he was going to do it again and again and again. We believed that he was just scraping the surface, um, but just being able to play and put that that once you got the contract, it's locked in. You got seven or eight years to to just go to go and play. I think that's a yes. Initially, it was a little bit of pressure. I know at the beginning of the year, he felt the pressure that he really wanted to show people that that he deserved it and earned it. Um, but at the end of the day, 
now you just play hockey and do what you love right from the time you were little and and you're 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 financially taken care of now just help your team win and i think that's his mindset that he has right now and that's probably a better question for him i think that's his mindset he has i know him and i have talked about it but uh you know that's that's what our conversation was as far as uh, the contract and how it was an exciting time like you know it's a good thing i'm not an agent cuz you know, their initial offer was like, sign it, sign it, sign it. (laughs) (laughs) I give credit to his agent and him both being patient and working out to to make it a mutual agreement between Buffalo. And obviously he loves Buffalo. He loves being there. So it's all good. And it's all worked out for a reason. And, and Brent, of course, uh, his younger brother, Tice, has, uh, you know, was drafted in 2019. Uh, he's played a little bit in the NHL. Kind of similar path to, to Tage. And, you know, now he's in the American League. So you get to coach against him the odd time. He plays uh, in the Devils with the, with the Utica Comets. How is that in the games when you're coaching and Tace is on the other team? How do you, like, can you remove dad in that situation when he's on the ice and you only focus on your team or do you find yourself coaching your team, but then being like, Oh, nice play taste. Like, how does that work? <laughs> yeah. You know what? The first time we're playing them is next week or that's oh, yeah, that game this week. On, on Friday. I okay. have never coached against my, either one of my sons. I've always been around. They've been called up when I've played against their American league uh, affiliate, or obviously I was in the, when I was in the NHL, they were too young. So uh, this is going to be the first time. So it's a great question. We've already talked on the phone. Well, we talk all the time on the phone, but I've already talked to Tyson. He, him and I have already kind of chirped him and, and let him know that we're going to beat him and it's going to be a war and just be ready. Cause we are going to beat you. And he, you know, obviously chirped back. And so it's, it's going to be fun, exciting, but the focus is ultimately on my team and making sure that we do what we have to do. That'll be the night. I'll be just a coach. I'll probably <laughs> want our guys to run them. <laughs> I was going to say, does, is that the day the coach puts something up on the board and say, hey, I can't let my son have bragging rights here? That's exactly it. There'll be a lot of money on the board. I'm sure all the guys on my team will be giving it to me as well. But that is such a, like, I know hockey, it's, you know, it's, it's a very serious thing. It's professional for sure. But those type of moments as you look forward to it, Brent, like I'm sure, you know, as a dad to have two sons, you know, getting to play professional hockey is mind blowing that that rarely happens. And especially one who, who played it himself. Like, are you able to just sit back and be like, damn, this is going to be pretty cool. Like to enjoy the fun of it. Cause I know hockey's very serious and everything, but do you, are you able to, to be like, like, I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to have a smile on my face regardless of the outcome. Yeah. You know, I'm, I am really going to enjoy this opportunity. I, I think it's going to be pretty cool to have a professional coach and a professional player going against each other head to head. I think it's, I am going to enjoy it. Uh, obviously it's something special, even the game the other night. I mean, I, to just sit back and watch Tage play and realizing what he's accomplishing, not like as a parent, it's amazing, but as a coach, you're going, Holy smokes. Like, I can't yeah. believe this is happening. Um, so the wow for that was a, it was pretty special. And then, you know, I'm, I'm going to take this with uh, against Niger or Utica devils and, you know, enjoy that uh, game and hopefully, uh, hopefully get the two points. So I have bragging rights after maybe we're not going to bet anything because at the end of the day, I pay for everything anyway. So <laughs> Uh, that's not worth it, but uh, maybe a dinner or something. Who knows? Maybe maybe a golf game in the summer. <laughs> well, I would I would assume though now moving forward, uh, Tage might be paying for more things than Dad after signing that big deal when it kicks in next year. <laughs> I it'd be nice once in a while. No, he's a good kid. They're both good kids. So yeah, it'd be nice if uh, if uh, the boys take care of the old man once in a while. That'd be fun. 
<laughs> Brent, uh, la- last question for me before we get to rapid fire. Just curious, as you've seen, you know, your, your son's development here, what are your own aspirations? You know, you've been an AHL head coach, as we mentioned, for a long time now. Would you, do you want to be behind an NHL bench? What do you want to do next? 100%. I want to be an NHL coach. And, uh, you know, I've been in the American League a long time. And ultimately, my my primary goal right now is to develop the Islanders prospects. And my primary goal right now is to win a cup here. Like our, our goal with this team is to win a cup. And, uh, you know, that that's that's what, you know, my focus is right now. That's what our team's focus is. We're in it together here. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to an opportunity in the NHL at some point, uh, hopefully with the Islanders. But uh, we'll see where that where that path takes us. Now, Brett, you started out, of course, because you were an assistant in the AHL. Then you went down to the ECHL to be a head coach for two years. Uh, then you got promoted to the AHL. Then you had a, a you know a short stint in between there for two years as an assistant. Did you go back to the AHL, kind of like you were Jay Woodcroft, and said, I want to be a head coach, and in order to be a head coach, i got to be a head coach at the AHL level? Was that your plan? Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, it was an opportunity uh, Gar Snow, the former GM there with the Islanders, great guy. Um, you know, we talked and it was an opportunity. Uh, we mutually agreed that it was something that we both wanted and wanted. He wanted me back there to work with the young prospects. I wanted to become a head coach. And yes, that, that is the, the mindset. Now, you know, it, it, whatever opportunity arises now and, and where this path takes you, you never know. So open-minded to the future for sure. But that was the mindset, even the mindset in the American league. Originally, when I went down to the East coast league, um, Larry Plo pulled me aside and said, Hey, if you really want to be ahead, you're going to have to go down to junior or the East coast league, learn how to be ahead there and kind of learn how to manage a team. And I, I think those experiences has helped for the future, preparing for the NHL, whether it's NHL head or NHL system. Now, I want to ask you about, you know, and when you're in the American League, players are working on their skill set because they want to get to the NHL. How do you, as an American League coach, what do you work on to prepare yourself to be an NHL head coach? I think it's your daily process. I mean, as far as managing the team, managing the bench, the practices, you know, there's that extra time frame that you do get to benefit because you are working on skill development, individual skills, um, but you're also working on your systems. You're also working on, oh, you know, we, we have to handle ourselves as far as uh, my staff. It's only me and one other assistant. I have a, a skills coach and a video coach. So we work pretty close together, pretty tight. And so we're all handling a lot of different things through the course of the year. So as far as the American League, it's obviously I think it's the second best league in the world. One and two, you're you're managing a lot of different things. Development being the priority, but winning. I mean, every player under the sun wants to win a hockey game, and I'm no different. I want to win every single night too. So, preparing to win. I mean, at the NHL, you got to win. It's a results business. So, preparing to win for us down here is a big deal. And and you know, I think you just translate that into the NHL. So your daily daily management of the players, both on the bench, off the bench, and and being able to build that relationship with the players is a key thing. I got one more before we get to rapid fire for all of our Islander listeners, um, for the young prospects in Bridgeport, you got a lot of young guys, 23 and, and, and under, you know, Raddy and Bull Duke, you mentioned uh, Simon Holmstrom. Uh, give me a, a sense for the Islander fans on, you know, who, whose development has really impressed you this year and, and kids that you think are going to be on Long Island in the future. Well, Simon Holmstrom came out of the gates. So, and he's up there right now and he played great for us. Uh, and he's just, a, I'm sure the Islander fans can see how, how much he's uh, changed over the last few years. 
uh, the strength on the puck is possession, but, but our two ratty has been playing great hockey, uh, smart 200 foot player. He's got a good shot, good release. Um, you know, defensively Sam Bolduc's got a heavy shot. He's learning to be a, a little meaner, a little more okay. physical, defend a little harder. And that's going to be a big step for him. Uh, trying to think Ishikov, a new, another young second round pick. Uh, he's dynamic, small, kind of an Everly type player, if you will, uh, skilled, can make little plays in tight areas. Um, and then DeFore, who a lot of the Canadian people know in the World Juniors and the Memorial Cup, uh, lethal shot, lethal shot. He just got to learn how to move his feet and and uh, on a consistent basis, uh, protect the puck and do little details. But, but the prospect pool, the young guys is outstanding. And the Islanders have done a nice job putting this, these young guys together with a good core of veterans. So very excited about coaching them and, and the Islanders have a bright future with their young guys. Awesome. All right, Brent, uh, we always like to end with a uh, rapid fire. The only rule is you have to answer the question. All right. So uh, <laughs> here we go. Well, we'll start out. Um, Tage Thompson, uh, your son right now is kind of the hottest guy on the, on the planet when it comes to breakout seasons. Where did he get the offense from? What do you take credit for? What's the one skill set you have worked on with him the most? Well, I just say his work ethic. He gets his hands from his mom. We'll go with that one. (laughs) (laughs) Do you, Mark, as a guy who wasn't a goal scorer, uh, do you marvel at his ability to score? Yes, it's a gift. Goal scoring is a gift. And and what he has is a gift. How can a coach help guys improve goal scoring? Go to the net harder, shoot more. Um, those are probably the two biggest points. If you want to score goals and you're not a pure scorer, go to the net harder and shoot more. Who is the one coaching mentor that you lean on the most that you call when you have coaching questions and why? Uh, Scott Gordon uh, was my last coach in Providence and one of the first guys that gave me a video and we stay in touch and talk all the time. Of the former coaches that you had in your American and NHL career, which one did you like the best and why? Mike Foligno, hands down, loved him. He was passionate, he was intense, and he got the most out of our team. That was in Hershey. Did he ever like? Did he ever have the celebratory two-foot jump like he had as his goal scoring, Sally? <laughs> no, but the guys gave it, the guys that would score would do it every now and again. It was a good chuckle. Oh, yeah, there's a lot be, of uh, American League coaches that I like too, but don't keep in mind there's a lot of American League coaches I like, but he just jumps out at me just because I had him for so long. How have you evolved as a coach from when you first started 13 years ago? What's the biggest change for Brent Thompson as a coach today? I think I'm a little calmer. I think when I was younger, I was pretty fiery and intense all the time. And I think now I'm. I'm enjoying the ride, if you will. I think it's a, able to be able to build better relationships with the players and just just enjoy it. Uh, I'm still intense and I still expect a lot, but uh, I think just a little bit calmer in old age. I'm a grandpa now, so. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, Yeah, that's right. Congratulations. Um, my regular co-host on TSN, Jason Strudwick, uh, told me about a scrap he had with you, and it, it went really well for you, but not really well for him. <laughs> um, do you remember a fight in your career that didn't go well for you that you still remember? That did not go well for me? Did not go well. There are many. <laughs> 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 I, can, I can rattle off a bunch just go on YouTube. Uh, 
No, I, the one that stands out the most that a lot of people won't know or won't see, thank God, is uh, Max Medendorf. Uh, when I first started my career and I was in the IHL, I thought I was going to give it to him. And I, I remember he drove the net. And I don't know if anyone who knows who Oh, Max yeah, yeah, what a prospect. Monster of a man. And um, he he cross-checked, or I cross-checked him at net front. He, he was down on his knees, and I was ready, thinking I'm going to get him. As soon as he get up on his knees, I'm going to drop my gloves and get going. But to my surprise, he already had his gloves off, and uh, I don't remember the fight. Out cold. He beat the bag out of me. I, I came to, I was in the locker room, and I didn't know what happened. So that fight was a little bit of a disappointment. <laughs> I love your honesty. And, you know, now you've obviously had ones that went well at the same time. Um, it's funny though, guys seem to remember, or you focus on the ones that didn't go well. Or is there still one like this? Did Tage and Tice, how many times have they been on hockeyfights.com watching your fights? And what about your current players? Do they every now and then come in? Hey, coach, I saw this one. Did they ask you about your tilts? yeah they both my kids have seen lots of fights on youtube and chirp me and um and yes our players they they say hey i saw so-and-so fight you and i'll be like ah that wasn't a good one don't worry i, I do have some good ones it's just video wasn't a price wasn't uh, as big as it is now so i kind of wish there was big ones for the minor league guy fights because those were the good ones the nhl ones i was still trying to figure out how to fight so yeah, you had a little bit. I was looking at your AHL uh, penalty minute totals. Uh, you definitely, you know, learning. You mentioned uh, you can improve goal scoring. I'm assuming you can improve fighting, Brent. Uh, how did you? What improved you the most as a fighter over your career? Just being smarter, not taking as many punches. I think it was learning to tie guys up, learning who was left and right, and things like that. And that wasn't my forte. I was either I was all in or I was all out. And I, as I got older, I was a little smarter. I, I tied up a little bit better uh, later in my career. So that was definitely a learning curve for me. I just thought I could, if I could take more punches than the next guy, I was going to be better. Now, one last one. You're coaching right now. You have two sons, uh, Tage, of course, in, in the NHL and, and Tice currently in the AHL. You watch a lot of video. Are you recording every one of their games and then watch it later on or on the flight or on the bus? And, and so how many, how many games do you ever get watched live for you two sons? Uh, live is tough. Like even on TV, uh, I should say live, I, sorry, not in person, of course. Yeah, live, live is tough as far as even on TV. I like just watching the other night. It's Tage, I can see more live because our schedules are a little, NHL schedules, obviously a little different. So I do see them, but I try to watch almost every game. Um, when it's, you know, obviously on the pre-recorded uh, networks, uh, or, and then same with the, uh, the American league. When I watch Tice, I, I watch it almost all of his games too, plus my pre-scouts. So yeah, I'm watching a lot of hockey. <laughs> now, when you watch them, do you just watch, like, can you take Brent Thompson, the coach out and just be dad and watch, or is there the, the little coach Thompson's always in there? Yeah, he's always in there. Unfortunately, they probably hear, I'll throw a text after I watch a game and, and I try not to talk about anything cause I don't know their structure or their systems. It's more about effort. Uh, you know, maybe could have shot a little quicker there or, you know, when you're back checking, look over your shoulder. Yeah, the coaching sneaks in every now and again, but it's it's primarily I'm getting better at that. It's just I'm just trying to be a dad and just watch. I, I watch for my enjoyment. And sometimes the kids ask me for questions, like my younger one, hey, what did you think of that? Or should I shot here? Um, for Tage right now, I think it's just like, okay, I'm leaving him alone. Let him do his thing. He's, he's matured enough. He's old enough. He's ready.
Well, Brent, thanks so much for joining us in the DFL Rundown. Uh, enjoy that uh, great moment when uh, you're going to coach against your son, Tice, coming up. And uh, you know, hopefully you watch uh, Tage score uh, 50 goals this year. Thank you very much. I hope so, too. Quite an interview with Brent Thompson. Absolutely loved it. And as you mentioned, Jay, loved his honesty. But, Jay, I got to ask you, as the president of the Tage Thompson fan club, what was it like speaking to the man's father? <laughs> uh, I've actually spoke to Brent uh, before, so you know what, uh, uh, it's okay. But hey, you know what, I uh, I thought it was very professional. I kept it calm. I didn't uh, I didn't uh, you know ask too much about Tage because hey, as the president of the fan club, I know I know everything that's going on. So I was more interested in. Uh, you should have wore your shirt. You should have wore your Tage Thompson shirt. Yeah, well, you know what though, I, I wore that the other time, you know, and it's uh, I got it. It's getting washed right now, so it'll be, uh, you know, what it'll come out kind of when he hits certain milestones, new career high, thirty nine goals, and you know, career high in points, and probably when he gets fifty, which you know, I'm, I'm, I know last week Tyler asked us if he'd score fifty, and I was like, no, but then he scored five, so I would like to, I would like to take that one back That's if so I could, because it's definitely That's a look ten percent right there. I know, isn't that like that game is ridiculous when you when you think about it, and what's um, what's actually ridiculous is that he only played three minutes and 55 seconds in the third period. That's what's ridiculous. And you know what's funny, Frank? We had that conversation about, you know, Daryl Sittler. And, and today's NHL, if I was a coach and I had a guy with that many points, I'm going in the locker room saying, boys, we're chasing the record. You get your team so fired up this whole, eh, we got to protect. Give me a break. Let's go. Because an opposing team should get mad. nine two. Yeah. Well, hey, it's professional hockey. Teams have lost no, 11. I'm advocating for it. I'm saying yeah. like, put the pedal to the metal. Like this is, we're not, we're not playing in the schoolyard. This is for keeps at the NHL level. Not only that, I, and I didn't want to ask Brent to put him on the spot, but I was going to say, if you were the coach, would you yeah. have played, would you have played Tage more in the third period? Yeah, it's a good question for coaches because a lot of them rested. And I'm like, you know, like the one thing I remember Messier and Coffee talking about Wayne Gretzky was they said when Wayne had four points, he wanted six or seven. Like, And, and Glenn Sather kind of coached that way to say, hey, boys, like we're just going to hammer down on guys. And maybe with offense coming back, we see more of it, but I hope so because the records are made to be broken. And the only way you're going to – like no one scored even six goals in a game since Daryl Sittler did it in 1976. Like it's hard to do. So when you have five after 40 minutes, at bare minimum, I'm like, I want this guy to get to six. Because if I'm an NHL coach, you got to know that record. I know it's the modern-day record. Joe Malone had seven goals way back in like 1922 or something. But um, like six goals, man, in a game, you know, is extremely rare. So I would have loved to see it. So hopefully, hopefully you see more of that. Go say, and you know what? Don't everyone's always trying to run up the score. No, he's trying to chase a record. There's two very different things. We're not playing pogs here. Like we're yeah. playing in the NHL and this is a $50 million player. So and the fans, the like I know the, the game was in Columbus. The world is your oyster. But if you're at home for that game, Frank, I want you to go for it. Cause your home crowd, they would love it. Right? It was also... It was also a game between the Sabres and Blue Jackets on national TV in the U.S. Why they picked that game, I have no idea, but man, did it work out for them. <laughs> Good call. Uh, let's bring in uh, Tyler Remchuk now. Ty, how you doing? I am doing great, you guys. I am ready to go with another edition of a Buy or Sell delivered by our friends at DoorDash. You can get 25% off and no delivery fees when you use the promo code GAMEDAY25 on your first order of $15 or more with the DoorDash app. 
I want to start with Alex Ovechkin and kind of the run he's been on. He's scored four times in his last four games, but they've all been empty netters. The guy has only thrown them into the empty net. My question is, he is, as it sits right now, four goals back of Gordie Howe for second all time. I'm going to say he is clear of Gordie Howe by Christmas. By yourself, Frank. Five goals in the next 13 days for Ovi. I'll buy. Um, I said on, on Daily Faceoff Live the other day that I think the watch is on uh, now that he's under 100 away, and I think it's going to be two calendar years from right now. I think he does it before Christmas in 2024 that he beats Wayne Gretzky's mark, but I do think he passes Gordy Howe by Christmas. So he's got that means five goals in six games. Um, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna sell, but I say he ties him. All right, he is tied by Christmas. I like that. Uh, last season, the most ninety point teams that one division had was five, and it was the Central Division. Winnipeg finished just shy of it at eighty nine. I was looking, wondering if there could be one division this year that hits six ninety point teams. And I'm going to actually say the Pacific Division gets there. I think Vancouver is just going to scrape their way up there with some, with maybe a late season run. But it looks like, based on the success of Seattle, LA, and then you got Edmonton and Calgary, who will probably pick up the pace as well, that there could be six 90 point teams in the Pacific. Do you buy or sell on that, Jason? Oh, I'm, I'm selling all the way. Vancouver would have to get hot to, to get to 90 points. So I, and six is just, you know, they haven't played a lot of divisional games yet. In the uh, in a lot like I think Edmonton and Calgary have played something like three or four. Mm. So um, you're going to have a lot of division games against one another, and unless they're all three pointers, there's just not enough points to go around. So uh, I am selling all day, Frank. I am going to sell on the Pacific, but I am going to buy on the Metro. I think even if the Caps miss, they're not going to miss by much more than six or eight points. So I'm going to say the the. To 90 they're on pace for i think 86 right now something like that so they're not that far away and, and they're carrying up the sort of the rear among that group of six teams in the metro fair enough both divisions in the eastern conference have six teams with a 500 or better points percentage right now because montreal is still kicking around at a 519 as we uh, work our way through december uh mitch marner the point streak has not ended yet they get the Ducks tomorrow, and then it's the Rangers, Caps, Lightning, Flyers before Christmas. Five more games. I'm going to say he keeps it going. I think Mitch Marner is going to go past Christmas with the point streak intact. Frank, you buying or selling? I'm going to sell. Uh, I think at some point, and this is one of the sort of untalked about things with the point streak, but thinking back to Jason Robertson, the Leafs are also riding a 14-game point streak, which is one of the longest in franchise history. And at some point, I'd imagine you end up being shut out on a night here or there, right? It happens every now and again, and that's what got Jason Robertson. So I'm going to say at some point, the Leafs are going to be shut out, and the streak is going to end before Christmas. Well, I love offense, so I have to buy. 
Only because I, I, hey, I'd love to see someone push over 30. Like it is, it's extremely rare to see. So, uh, you know, Anaheim is, I think that's a no brainer. He's getting a point there uh, for sure. Uh, you know, Rangers, Caps, I guess if there was one game, maybe Tampa, because for, you know, that, uh, but they score a lot of goals when they play Tampa. So no, I'm riding it. I think he's going to go off. Uh, I think the Christmas break, I, I wouldn't be surprised coming out of Christmas break if it ends quickly, because, you know, usually there's a, a few, you know, slow games coming out of the Christmas break for players. So, but I'll say he rides it through to Christmas. The, there is one division and this, we're heading over to our points bet Canada bonus question. They got live odds up on a bunch of stuff throughout the NHL season. There is one division that does not have its leader in terms of odds at worse than even money. And it's the central where you have the stars at plus 175. The Avs are plus 200. Jets are three to one. Wild are seven to one. Do you think the stars hold on to this thing and kind of go wire to wire? Or is there someone else you're identifying as a potential division winner in the central, Frank? I think the stars probably hang on. Uh, I could see if maybe depending on when Colorado gets their guys back, like, you know, think back to last year, didn't Colorado go on some incredible, like 18, one and one run. Like I could see something like that happening again, that puts them back in the mix. But I would say, I don't know. I mean, the truth is Winnipeg has a better points percentage than Dallas. So um, I think they're also right in the mix as well. And, And guess which team has been playing a lot better of late. Uh, the last few weeks has been the Minnesota Wild, so I wouldn't count them out either. Oh, I think it's the Jets. I think it's the Jets and the and the, uh, and the Star. I just think Colorado's injuries for that long, uh, it's going to allow one of the Jets or Dallas to get a little bit of room that, that's too much to overcome. So I will take actually the Jets. Like the Jets haven't, the Jets have been without Nikolai either. He's one of their top six forwards yeah. all year long. We really haven't missed a beat with him. Uh, Hellebuck's playing great. Uh, they've got Josh Norrissey uh, continuing to roll. So I'm going to say the uh, the Winnipeg Jets. Um, you know, Frank was Nostradamus. He was a little, he was a year early on his uh, love for the Jets, but uh, they will be good this year. All right, there you go, guys. That is a wrap on this week's edition of Buy or Sell delivered by DoorDash. Now, before we go, Frank, I want we'll stay in the Central Division because I want to talk about, I don't know if you heard uh, Craig Berube's. I'm going to read the uh, exact quote. I got it out of the Jim Rutherford's um, uh, article at The Athletic. Quote, we have a great culture here that we built and a team first work ethic attitude. It's lost now, and we have to get it back. There's too many guys, you know, veteran guys, young guys. If they don't come to the rink and think about the team and put the team first, we're not going anywhere. And right now, I don't see that happening. I just think it's the attitude of the team. It's crept in here, and it's not good right now. Uh, You know, Craig Rube, always a very honest guy, straightforward. Something seems amiss in St. Louis. And, and when you hear that from their coach, uh, you know, obviously they've talked about it privately many times. Coaches never come out and say that publicly unless it's being discussed behind closed doors. That's a pretty interesting one that, you know, saying that some guys, you know, you've got your own separate direction that you're pulling. They're not pulling in the same uh, direction right now. And I wonder if they can turn it around. I guess there was a lot that's happened in the sense that One, I think he kind of flew under the radar last year because he played so well and the team won that this situation with Vladimir Tarasenko has sort of been brewing under the surface a little bit. I would say, two, they also lost David Perron, who I think has been a pretty big leader on that team. Uh, So they missed that leadership component. And three, you have an influx of of contracts that are up at the end of the year. You know, their captain and Ryan O'Reilly being one. I, I doubt that that's 
impacting his leadership because he doesn't strike me as that type of guy, but how could it not at least wear on you in terms of wondering where you're going to be? Or am I still going to be with this team? So I think there's a lot of moving parts that have probably contributed to that. And I also think, um, you know, for a team that has scuffled a bit, you know, there's that change in sort of generational leadership too, the passing of the baton from, you know, the O'Reilly's and the Tarasenko's down to the Kairos and the Thomas's that sometimes, you know, you have a season where that ends up getting dropped. Yeah, like even Nashville's passed them here. The Preds have 13 points in their last uh, 10 games, 6-3-1, and one, and the Blues only have five at 2-7-1. and one. So that's a pretty big gap that they've swatched, and now they find themselves in sixth. Heck, they're only three points up on Arizona, and the Coyotes have two games in hand, and they had, what was it, uh, 20 of their first 24 games on the road. So, yeah, the Blues, when you kind of break it down, man, they they got a long ways to go here to, to try to get back in this. I'll tell you what. Uh, as we hit Christmas, obviously, you know, you look back and, and take stock of, of where things are, you know, for everyone on a personal basis and also uh, for teams, there's going to be some really frank and honest conversations taking place in the front offices in St. Louis, in Nashville. Uh, I think to a certain extent, you know, Calgary, the longer things, you know, scuffle here, Vancouver, we've talked a lot about, but also, you know, in some other places like the New York Rangers, I think, uh, the Rangers are under some significant heat from ownership uh, to turn this thing around. And, and if you know anything about New York sports, if Jim Dolan gets fired up, things tend to happen. Frank, have a great week. Uh, is there any topic that hockey fans, NHL fans, outside of the salary cap should be watching for in the next couple of days here at the Governor's Club? Yeah, I wonder if we end up getting some news about the sale of the Ottawa Senators, but I think that process still has a bit of a ways to go. Um, Hockey-wise, I don't think anything materially impacting the game, but everyone's curious about the salary cap and where revenue stand. Awesome. Frank, stay warm. Get the sunscreen on. We'll talk to you Friday. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash.